Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Sanjeev Goel from Peak Human Podcast, and today I'm going to be talking about something that's been on my mind for the last week since I got my uh, my Aura Ring. Uh, I have Harpreet Rai from uh, who's CEO of Aura Ring with me today, and we're going to be talking about this. I think the best uh, biohacking device that's out there on the market. So uh, Harpreet, maybe you want to introduce yourself and and talk a little bit about uh, Aura Ring and how you got involved. Yeah, um, so. Uh, thanks for the introduction, um, Harpreet. I uh, I'm the CEO of Aura Ring. Um, we we've I've, we've actually been around for quite some time. Um, the company is about five years old. Um, we are a Finnish company, uh, so most of our team is based in Finland. And Finland, I live in the U.S. in California. Um, I got involved in the company about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, just actually as an investor and a board member. Um, and then uh, I just started helping the company out a lot more and started to build the team and help them, you know, grow here in the U.S. And so uh, as I as I just started to help out a lot more, uh, I think you know both the founding team and um, and some of the, the the board was pretty encouraged, and uh, we decided you know like that I should join full time. So I joined first as president, um, and then about after a year and a half, um, made the transition over to CEO. And so what what. Uh... I mean, I, I, I immediately, when I saw Aura Ring, I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. So, like, how, how has the story been happening for Aura Ring in the last, you know, 18 months? Like, what's happening in the buzz you're yeah. and what's that like? Sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot. I would say a lot of things happened. Um, and I can, you know, I would say we, we have an awesome team that's been, like, I would say, you know, really, really smart to focus on sleep. Um, so our first ring actually shipped. We had a Gen 1 Aura Ring. It's right. much bigger. It was like double or triple the set, probably closer to triple, maybe even quadruple the size. Oh my God, um, my current, God. Yeah, our Gen 1. So um, we launched that on a Kickstarter back in November, October, November 2015. Um, so, you know, I think we primarily saw interest um, in that, you know, it, with that product um, for people who are probably a lot more dedicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say it was, you know, the early adopters were biohackers, were people that were really into. Um, health and wearables and technology. Um, also, some elite athletes, people that really want to get heart rate variability in an easy way, um, and use something that's that's pretty accurate. Um, I think you know the insight really was you know credit to our founding team um, of looking at actually measuring sleep first. Um, you know that was sort of a new thing for the wearables back in 2015, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, three and a half years ago. Uh, when we launched, most wearables were not tracking sleep or even thinking about it. Fitbit didn't have sleep then. And the idea to focus on sleep was, hey, we all sleep every day. Mm-hmm. It actually has profound impact um, to our health that most people don't know about. We, all, we always sort of grew up here and you should sleep eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, in, you know, what's the best form factor to track sleep? You know, most people take things off when they go to bed, right? right? Uh, you don't want to put on more things. So, you know, we looked at headphones. Um, you know, we looked at, uh, at even, you know, earbuds um, instead of just like something over the ear. We looked at where it's sitting in your head. We looked at a chest strap. We looked at wristwatches because a lot of those components are readily available. Uh, and so what we found, though, is like all those form factors when you sleep bother you. Headphones, you sleep on your side, your, your ears hurt. Um, you know, something that you put on your head just messes with your hair. So like, you know, for women, it's like a much bigger deal than for guys. Uh, I had a Zio. I don't know if you know a Zio. I used to have one, and yeah. apparently it worked. But I mean, no, I didn't like that thing on my forehead. It was always slip off, and 
Exactly. You wake up in the middle of the night, it's like half off the bed somewhere else. But um, yeah. yeah, so I think that the, what we really found is the ring form factor, there's a reason for science and accuracy, which we can get into. Yes. But it was actually just even from a form factor perspective, more comfortable. Right. And then I think the focus on sleep, uh, you know, is, is becomes like luckily really good for it to focus on that first because many wearables were not doing Right. Okay. So, um, so let's let's talk a little bit about what the type what type of feedback are you getting from users these days? What's it What's it like? Are you? Uh, how can users give feedback, and how's that happening yeah. right now? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of users just reach out to us all the time, um, like you know, just sort of sharing how they're using the ring, what they're seeing from it. Um, so, I would say a lot of things we see is people. One thing that people say is, it, "It's on, and I don't even know it's there." Right, like I, I almost forget it's there, which we which we love to hear. Um, it just that sort of means like it's not it's simple, it's easy to use, it's unobstructive to the user, you know. And that's that's the problem with a lot of wearables. You got to wear it, right? And a lot of people don't want to give up their watches, right? They don't want to actually, you know, if you don't wear watches, then you probably don't like wearing watches, um, you know. Um, and I would say the the wrist ends up being a little bit more annoying when you go to bed because it hurts your wrist, you know, when you sleep on your side again. Um, you know, but feedback from the data, what we found is, and you know, how we want people to use it is that, hey, like I started figuring out that that four cup, four o'clock cup of coffee yeah, is really yeah. affecting my sleep, right? Right, right? And people just start observing the data and they start to recognize patterns. Like, hey, actually, when I drink alcohol, my resting heart rate is twenty to thirty beats higher, right? Um, or if I have a glass of wine or I have a light beer, I found having it three or four, you know, like a happy hour or four or five. Is much much better for my sleep than if I have it at ten or eleven as a nightcap. Um, you know, other things we found is people start to realize that hey, when I actually exercise, I sleep better, right? right? right. And then when I sleep better, I can actually exercise harder the next day. Um, so I think some people have also, you know, we've within probably a little bit more, you know, into sleep and optimizing sleep. People that are using blue light blocking glasses, we found like. You know, people that start saying, wow, I never really used to get that much deep sleep. I started using blue light blocking glasses. You know, my deep sleep went up, you know, by, you know, 50 to 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're, we're hearing, it's, it's really, really interesting. I think, you know, where we are right now is we made something very easy to use, something that we believe is extremely accurate and others do too. Um, and, you know, something that's e like that seamlessly fits into your life. But I think, you know, now we're starting to hear a lot more hey, I've started to use this data, right, to optimize my life mm -hmm. and optimize my performance, optimize my energy, optimize my productivity, and optimize, you know, things that I actually want to do when I work out. Um, so now I think we're seeing a lot more users just report about, like, man, this thing is helping me change my lifestyle behavior and make really powerful changes that improve my life and how I feel. Yeah, I was thinking about maybe going to this later, but, I mean, the thing that I've noticed is that it's so unobtrusive that, uh, I even wonder if it's actually on. Like, uh, yeah. I'm actually thinking, is it die? Is it dead? Like, do I need to go charge it? Because so, tell me a little bit about that. Like, how long, uh, how often do we have to charge the thing? And like, you know, can we wash your hands with it? Like, some of the stuff I just yeah, like, sure. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, like so, basic stuff. Yeah. Basic things. Okay, ring is titanium. Um, so you know that way you, you can't break it. But we also chose titanium right, uh, right. because it's super lightweight, so it's lighter yeah, yeah, than a normal yeah, ring. Just in case you can't feel it. Yeah, you can't you can't feel it's there. I'll hold right, right. one up to the yeah, camera. Yeah, exactly. um, uh, the, uh, you know, we have a custom battery in there, um, but we also have two infrared LED sensors. Okay. Uh, we have an infrared detector. We have an accelerometer, a gyroscope, and three temperature sensors. Okay. Um, 
So that's sort of like the hardware setup. Um, yes, it's waterproof. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's rated up until 150 meters, but uh, frankly, we we just haven't done the test because the equipment costs a lot more to go beyond 150 meters. Oh, I mean, I could go swimming with it. What you're saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can oh. go. You can go. You know, you can dive to 150 meters. Wow. Okay. Didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So cool. it's it's waterproof. Um, you know, hot temperatures are fine. People take them in the sauna. Um, you know. We're a Finnish company, so it gets really, really cold, like negative 20, 30 degrees Celsius, wow. uh, and it's fine. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say, like, it, that's hopefully that. And, and, oh, charging life, battery life, it yeah. lasts about five nights. Is, oh, five, oh nights. five nights. Yeah, so, so I guess my question is that, like, I've noticed that, yeah, you might be, I'm not seeing any data from the daytime, and I'm wondering, okay, should I even have it on? Like, is there a purpose? For me having it on during the day or should i just let it sit and put it on at night um we do track activity as well so if you look at like steps and the calorie estimation based on your you know height weight you enter and um, the activity that we see mm -hmm. uh, we also do sync to apple health kit and to hence like a lot of workout apps right right so your, your activity data if you know will be synced as well so a lot of people do find value in that um we are introducing a meditation mode okay so yeah. You will be able to see after a meditation session your heart rate, your heart rate variability, um, and some other interesting things. So that'll probably launch in about a month or so. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, because yeah. right now you have to go and put it into the activity area, right? If you want to like put a meditation, actually, meditation is not in there. You got to put under notes or something. Is that not right? You got to put under. You got to put under notes. Yeah, which is yeah. That's so yeah, you, you'll you'll start to see that um, you'll start to see that pop up as well. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the meditation thing should be pretty exciting. Um, we are going to do some more things and activity down the road as well. But, you know, I, I would say most of our users wear it 24-7. Um, That's probably about 90% of our users. Um, less than 10% of our users only wear it at night. Um, we have found if you just start to wear it only at night, you tend to forget. You, you know, it's easier to forget at night, right? Because yeah. you got to remember people leave it like next to a bedside table. If they're really tired, sometimes they forget forget to put it on, or if you're drunk, you forget to put it on, right? So yeah, um, you know, most of our users wear it all, all the time. But could it could it be that then if you you forget to charge it, like is it giving you enough of a of a notice that, hey, charge this, charge me, because I hate for it to die during my during my sleep yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah. We, we give you a notice. So if you look at the, if you open the app in the top right corner, you'll yeah. see like a battery indicator in the ring. Mm -hmm. um, so when that runs low, we give you a notice. So, so I would say probably like half our users get closer to six nights um but you know because everyone's sort of pulse signals slightly different um you know some does require a little bit more battery so it's, it's five nights so yeah most people are like oh i should be charging this every day like my iphone or my iwatch and you know right. you yeah you, in that sense i guess yeah you do forget it's there because you don't get that charging that and you get that charging notification once a week right um, right so yeah okay i want to start going into sleep i mean if you could just maybe just take us down, like, you know, how, why you, um, I, I mean, I've seen the recordings of, you know, my sleep and the deep sleep and the REM and all that. I would mind just talking a little bit about sleep in general and sure. why it's important. If you want to maybe just take me through the, you know, the company's yeah. thoughts on that. And, uh, yeah. And then sure. how, 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 I mean, I mean, you don't have to go too technical, but I'd love to understand, okay, how accurate is it with, Checking sure. those different stages of sleep. What types of little things should we be watching out for? You know, yeah. uh, I would love to just chat about that. Sure. Um, so, you know, the importance of sleep. Um, I think Matthew Walker um, 
he, he runs Berkeley Sleep Lab, has probably okay. said it best. Um, he said sleep is the single best performance enhancing drug out there mm-hmm. that's actually legal, right? right, right. Um, so if you look at some of the benefits of sleep, um, you know, for men, I'll throw it out there, like half your testosterone and growth hormone is released when you sleep. And when does uh, that happen? That, when does that happen? Yeah. It happens so, in the early uh, morning? Does it happen right as soon as you get to bed? Because I'm just trying to think, if we were going to cut sleep, yep. where should you cut it? Yeah. <laughs> the answer is, uh, that's that sounds great in theory, but mm-hmm. the reality is you shouldn't cut it. Um, so what, like if you get six hours versus eight, mm-hmm. um, what we see in our data is like, you will actually suffer in all the stages. Um, some more pronounced than others. So, and over time, that deficit catches up to you. Right. Um, so, I mean, testosterone and growth hormone, the physical body repair, that mainly happens during deep sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, some memory consolidation also does happen during deep sleep. Um, you know, another thing that we know, there two years ago in, um, I believe it was Nature, uh, there, was, there was a really good study. And what they found is actually people who developed Alzheimer's, they accumulated this toxin in your brain that's called beta amyloids right um turns out it's actually during deep sleep that this toxin is actually cleared away from the brain so um, okay yeah most people i I think most people don't know like our brain doesn't really have a lymphatic system like the rest of our body right right? like we have sweat nodes we let toxins out that way right um we also you know urinate right uh we poop so uh we have you know but your brain actually has something called the glymphatic system Right. And the glymphatic system is actually when all the inflammation, all the different like plaques are like washed away. And that actually happens during sleep. Um, so, you know, deep sleep uh, we went through, but REM sleep, I would say a lot more memory consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, something that was also recently discovered that actually during REM sleep, your mind will play back the events um, at sort of 3x the speed that they occurred during the day and multiple times. Right. And so... Um, that's actually how you learn, right? Repetition is the mother of learning. So I think like in that sense, like we, we do believe the evidence out there indicates that actually REM sleep is, is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've, I've even heard that uh, there was some new study, I think that just came out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say out of Stanford that basically even showed if you got the first hour or two of REM sleep mm-hmm. or the first hour of REM sleep, but didn't get those last 30 minutes yeah. that actually you, you need all of it to really get that memory consolidation. Wow. Um, okay. And so that they found that even memory consolidation improved um, even uh, quite a bit uh, between seven and eight hours. Um, there was a really good study, I, I believe also out of Stanford done um, in the early 2000s and they took um, high school students mm-hmm. and they hooked them up to, um, you know, actually fMRI mm-hmm. um, machines, and they gave them math problems. Right. And what they found was that students who slept eight hours versus six, their their neurons were 50% more neurons were firing than the kids who slept better during the math test. Wow. So, yeah, so I think, you know, literally, if you think about all the benefits of sleep, right, everything from muscle repair, right, and like, you know, uh, and rejuvenation, testosterone, growth hormone, if you think about, you know, memory, right, literally what you learn the next day, being able to apply it, if you think about cognitive performance with the math test, um, there's even been a lot of research done just showing that actually a cardiovascular system that's, you know, at night is actually when it gets rest and your, and your brain releases your like sort of natural uh, blood pressure reducing medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so cardiovascular risk as well. Um, the, the other big one, frankly, is um, obesity. Right. Um, and you lose weight. Levels. You lose weight if you have a good sleep, right? I mean, there's some good data uh, on that. 
Yeah, or you you gain weight if you, if you have don't. you know if you don't. Right, um, right. There's there's a bunch of I think that the two like to me this is super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Your ghrelin, you have two hormones that control right. your appetite. Ghrelin, yeah. Ghrelin, your hunger. Yeah. Leptin, you know how full or satiated you are. Right. You know if you sleep, you know four versus eight hours, your ghrelin levels double. Meaning you're twice as hungry, and your leptin levels are cut down by nearly fifty percent. Oh, wow. Meaning after you eat, mm-hmm. you're even not as full. Um, and so, if you think about controlling your appetite and not craving really bad food, mm-hmm. um, right? It's 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 really interesting how much sleep pay, plays a role into that. And so, what about the length? I know that you guys have put an optim. It looks like optimized is eight hours. Not is that not Correct. what? So I mean, is that based on what you think everybody should have, or just you know, you have to, you have to pick a number because some uh, people, yeah, some people might be okay at yeah. six. Um, we try to optimize what we see within the individual. Um, we, you know, eight, I would say most people need seven to nine hours. Mm-hmm. Hence, that's why like history or, you know, some of the older literature out there will say eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people are fine with seven and, and some people are actually better off with nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just depends on the individual. Um, we look at both the amount of stages so, you know, how much deep sleep and REM sleep and light sleep are you getting? Mm-hmm. The total length of time. We look at your disturbances and how much you're tossing and turning during the night. Okay, so that's into the long... algorithm as well, like the, the disturbances as well. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's, that's in there. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also look at actually latency. Right. Um, so if you click on the sleep tab, you'll see like that marker of like latency right. and then disturbances and how much you wake up would be efficiency, mm-hmm. uh, which is also shown. So we actually use all these different metrics and then we come up with a sleep score. And so we have a sleep score, we have an activity score. Um, and then based on those two, we actually form what we call a readiness score. Yes. And with that, with that readiness score is, um, it's looking at some physiological signals, but it also looks at sort of your sleep patterns over a longer period of time, like a two oh, wow. week, yeah, a, okay. a two week average with both your sleep and, act, and your activity. Cause you know, if you are very active, right? Mm-hmm. And you're performing a lot athletically, you just tend to, like, let's say, move a lot more, you tend mm-hmm. to be pretty active, like, you will need more time to recover. Um, I think a lot of athletes out there, like LeBron James and Tom Brady, you know, swear by getting anywhere from, like, 9 to as high as 12 hours a night. Yeah. I think I think it was Nadal who, or, yeah, Nadal or Federer was saying he mm-hmm. gets, like, 11 hours a night. Um, you know, and, and they're, all three of those athletes are now getting into the later stages of their careers, right? They're all past their 30s, right? Um, you know. Brady into his 40s, right? So I think like that's the, you know, some of these pros have sort of figured out that actually it's the recovery and sleep that's just as important as how hard you work on the field. And one of the things I've noticed though, this, you can't add an activity if it's already, if it's, a, if it's happened yesterday and you forgot to add it, and you didn't have your ring on. That's, I yeah. think you guys have that because I mean, you can't play a soccer game with a ring. I mean, it's like, you're not allowed to. Um, yeah, I mean, there's certain things. Every like, league, every league is different. You can't play a soccer game with a watch either. Yeah, um, so, that's unfortunate. Yeah, we can't do yeah. much on that right now. But uh, and, yeah, but you you do have to enter it manually if you take the ring off. Yeah. Um, right, and so and yes, you're right. Right now, that is an issue where which we will solve. You're gonna um, solve it. Can, <laughs> yeah, because um, I feel that'll, yeah. that'll enter the. That's the day good. after that's you'll be able good. to do that. That's so good. And then this, um, as you did talk about the algorithm and all this stuff. How is it being, uh, did you, uh, are you working with a particular university or group of researchers? How did you come up with, okay, this, this formula? Yeah. Like how, who is, yeah, sure. who is behind um, that? So yeah, what we, what we've done, we have a science team. Um, our chief scientist actually 
He was um, the principal scientist before at Polar, okay. um, the company that makes chest straps yeah. um, for ultra runners or for runners and athletes. Um, Polar has been probably the, they were the first and the biggest, um, you know, chest strap monitor, um, you know, provider out there. So yeah. they were doing that since the late seventies. Mm. Um, and so Polar is actually from Finland. Most people don't know that. Right. Um, it's a Finnish company and from the same town. So um, uh, Hanu uh, is our chief scientist and he, he basically you know, has worked with some research partners, um, but also, you know, our, like we went and actually collected polysomnography data in a sleep lab. You know, we had them all wearing aura rings and we would sort of look at the raw signals on the aura ring compared to the polysomnography. And, you know, you start to derive um, features that you see in the data that correlate different, you know, phases of sleep. Hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's how all of us, I would say, like if you look at Fitbit, they've done the same thing. Um, you know, same with other wrist-based devices like a Garmin. Um, I, I think the difference for us is really that the quality and how much data we see at night mm -hmm. um, is greater than the other wrist-based devices. Right. Um, so that, that comes down to some anatomy stuff. We can get into the finger versus the wrist, but, right. um, but that hopefully answers your question on like how we, how we took and, you know, you have to take multiple subjects, mm -hmm. right? And you have to get polysonography data and you have to compared against the raw signals you're seeing and, and train an algorithm against it. Sounds good. And so this piece about light sleep, uh, what part of sleep is that? And and uh, and does it have any usefulness? And, and and I guess my next piece is then talking about the accuracy piece. Like, you know, what, what should we, where is our downfalls? Like, you know, if, sure. you know, does it, yeah. does it mess up or like, you know, I'm just curious yeah, about yeah. that piece. Uh, no, no, no. That's, those are all good questions. Um, Light sleep, I would say, like, you know, we know and we've studied a lot more about deep and REM. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you, I would say it depends on your age is the other thing. Like mm -hmm. light, uh, REM sleep and deep sleep do decline as you age. Okay. Um, but, you know, uh, light sleep, I would say, what we, we don't know much about what the benefits are yet mm -hmm. um, compared to that of deeper REM. So it's, 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 we've seen from all the literature, I think others have also seen that like light, uh, light is probably not as important. Um, you know, as deep and, and REM sleep. Um, in terms of uh, accuracy, getting to your next question. Mm -hmm. So the gold standard in sleep labs is something called polysonography. Mm -hmm. And so that's like known as when you hook up all brain. these different sensors yeah. right to your brain. Right. Right. And so sleep staging, the science of sleep staging has developed by looking at brain waves and the speed of those brain waves. Right. right. Um, so deep sleep is when your brain is actually the slowest um, you're sort of in this range, you know, that's below five hertz, right? Um, and then, you know, I would say, you know, REM sleep and light sleep are are higher up in the frequencies. Mm -hmm. um, but um, what um, polysomnography has found is like you, you, you know, I would say that if you took the same polysomnography data, let's say from Stanford, mm -hmm. and you share that with a doctor at Harvard, mm -hmm. um, you know, and two different sleep doctors looked at the data, two different sleep techs looked at the data, they would agree on about 80% of it, Got it. right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of times we're in between stages, right? So right. like, hey, you know, are you, in, are you in deep sleep or are you actually closer to, you know, light sleep? Because it looks like you're in between this, these frequencies. And so a lot of that is a subjective call. So as a result, um, even the gold standard has a 20% standard error. Um, our device has an additional 10% standard error on top of that. Got it. So, um, but what we have focused on really our algorithms around is more around precision than accuracy. Mm. And, and the reason is we want to be able to show the change night to night and how you're sleeping 
And you know, whether you are 30 minutes in the truth of deep sleep and, the, and you went to the sleep lab and they showed, you know, 45 minutes, mm -hmm. right? What's more important is one night you were 30 minutes, the next night you were zero because you drank a lot of alcohol and watched when you were up, you know, late watching TV. And then next night, let's say you, you know, did a sauna at 5 p.m. and took mm -hmm. it really easy and relaxing and you wore your blue light blockers and you ate an early meal that you had an hour of deep sleep. And so what we try to focus on is showing you those changes because um, that ultimately is what will help you develop healthier habits mm -hmm. um, versus trying to focus that much on the accuracy. I would say other devices um, based on the wrist, um, yeah. what a lot of them have done or even based on an app on your phone is they, they end up doing like a lot of sort of algorithm development based on sleep architecture looking at like lots and lots of historical data from sleep studies so mm -hmm. like analyzing thousands plus nights of data that's out there in the public uh sort of developing like an idea of like well hey if you are 35 years old and your resting heart rate is x like you're you tend to get this much deep sleep and REM sleep and they tend to happen at these times and they try to model you like another individual um you know versus looking at precise measurement on what you're doing right now. So you're looking um, sort of you're looking at heart rate, probably looking at movement, right? Yeah. Uh, so we look at um yeah, sure, heart rate, heart rate variability, yeah. so the space between each heartbeat, yeah. um movement, temperature um as well. Right? All of so those all of those can give you an idea of what stage the person is in, is that what you're saying? Correct. And and we even look at the shape of the I would say heartbeat. Um, okay. so like where the amp like where Amplitude. where the different parts are oh, a lot of different parts within it wow i didn't realize uh, all that so is it possible to fool it like sometimes i would just like okay i'm just sitting stand like lying still uh could i possibly fool the order the, the i think you we've seen it um and it's pretty rare where we'll see it you know the best use the best where it comes up from practical life is people are watching tv yeah they fall asleep watching tv right and then like you know it's it ends up becoming like hey are you really that that's the hardest use case um mm -hmm. so i think um that one getting the exact sleep time right sometimes is tricky mm -hmm. um and and you know sleep is also one of those things like how do you know when you actually really fell asleep right you're sort of not conscious right you're not there but uh uh, yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I would say that if you want to try fooling it, that can happen. We have found with it, like I would say half a percent or less of our users, um, some of them have just such low resting heart rates, mm -hmm. um, and they tend to have like they tend to be like so still even when they're sitting mm -hmm. um, that that sometimes you can fool it. But we've also now tried to gather more data on people like that mm -hmm. and try to incorporate that into the algorithm. Wow. Okay. That sounds great. And um, so let's talk about heart rate variability. I think this part is what's really cool because I mean, other people do sleep, but I don't think you got, anybody else does really heart rate variability the way you guys are doing it. So yeah. I, I understand, I understand. So basically this is our, our heart is normally has a variation and and the, the amount of variation, if, it, if it's greater, that's the sense of greater health and less stress on the body. Um, yeah. And uh, so I want to understand yeah, a little bit about, um, ac again, accuracy, how, like, you know, how much science is there behind the way you guys are doing it? And, you know, can, yeah, are so people seeing that this makes a difference? Tracking totally. This piece? I think that's, that's where we stand out. So um, our, our, our heart rate and our heart rate variability for every beat overnight is about 99% and 98% respectively, like correlated to EKG. Mm -hmm. um, so 
Um, because we're on your finger, yeah. just like you are, let's say, in a hospital in the ICU, mm -hmm. um, that pulse signal we see is extremely clear. Um, and it's extremely strong, so we, we don't need that much power to see it. Versus on your wrist, where your Fitbit or your Apple Watch sits, that pulse signal is actually pretty weak. Ah, um, okay, got it. Yeah, as a result, there's a lot of extrapolation. There's a lot of noise in the signal, right? If you if you think about it from an anatomy perspective, mm -hmm. right? If you look at your wrist, right? You know, if you if you cut yourself on the inside of the wrist, you know, you'll bleed to death, right? There's like lots know, of blood, tons tons of blood that comes out. Now, versus if you cut yourself on the top of the wrist, um, you won't get that much blood. Right. Um, but what's even more interesting is when you look at your hand, mm -hmm. um, that blood signal from these arteries on the inside of your wrist that mm -hmm. has so much blood mm -hmm. goes right into your fingers. And that skin on your fingers, right, is super thin. That's why you can you look at your hand and it's like, you know, doesn't matter if you're, you know, Indian like us, right, or, you know, um, African-American, you still, our palms are all the same color. Right. Because that skin is so thin. And so that, that pulse signal ends up being extremely strong. And so that's, that's why... You know, Massimo, who makes, you know, the heart rate monitors in hospital is, you know, chosen the finger for a reason. Um, that's also why we've chosen, you know, the finger uh, for for measuring it. And so um, we're actually able to see every single heartbeat throughout the night. Um, most wearables don't have the battery power to track that because mm. the signal's so weak on the wrist. Right. Um, so they measure for a little bit, turn the sensors off and extrapolate. Um, is there right. any um, is there any like pitfalls, like if you have a skin disease or anything like that could potentially mess it up? Um, I would say we have seen with some medical conditions, like uh, you know certain types of heart diseases, mm. um, so have no where we have yeah. you don't much on um, pulse. Is that what you mean? Like if your pulse is weak uh, or something? Or... We no, we we actually still see all the data. Um, mm. The problem is like because it almost looks like fake. Mm. We haven't been showing it all, but we're trying to collect more data. Let's say with people that have those type of diseases to even show those use cases too. Okay. Um, which, which is interesting longer term because that's probably the medical side is probably where the space goes. Right. Um, you know, the whole wearable space evolves over time. But um, yeah, I mean, I would say we, we have not seen any use cases where people are not able to get the heart rate data. Um, we have seen certain instances in the heart rate variability where it changes so quickly hmm. um, that like, again, we've been thinking it's like it's false or erratic or a bad signal. Mm -hmm. And so we haven't been showing it, but now we've collected enough data on people that have heart rate variability that changes so fast that we'll be we'll be showing that data too but now i would say 99 plus percent of our users uh, don't have any issues seeing their heart rate data yeah i seen that you know over the night it tends to like go in its particular direction the heart rate variability like it improves over the night maybe as you get better sleep or i don't know like have you are you seeing something like that or you heard about that yeah like, uh, i think in healthy individuals that tends to happen um your heart rate variability um you know normally during any activity when you're awake will be a little bit lower, right? And then as you recover, when you mm -hmm. sleep, right, your nervous system tends to like have less stress, mm -hmm. right? And you tend to start getting ready for the morning. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the, you'll see in most people that the pattern of heart rate variability increases throughout the night. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would say heart rate is sort of the opposite, right? Right, um, right. So you, most start people like your, your, yeah. And, and we, we actually use that as an indicator. Mm -hmm. um, for how recovered you are. Mm -hmm. So if your heart rate occurs very, very late at night, mm -hmm. um, you know, like let's say seven hours into sleep, you know, mm -hmm. is your lowest resting heart rate, that likely means like you're, you're you know, you're, you're, you have some type of stress. Most of the time it's a, you know, you're sleep deprived mm -hmm. or you honestly ate a large meal too late, right? Um, it, it took your body some time to digest that. Okay. You had alcohol, 
right? You're, you're stressed with some time. So what we, we actually have it on blog posts where we talk about how, like, you know, the midpoint of sleep, right, halfway through your eight hours or seven hours of sleep, that's sort of ideal when your heart rate hits the lowest. Um, sometimes, though, if you're really well recovered, um, you'll even hit it in the first hour or two, your lowest yeah. resting heart rate. And we actually then guide people to, you know, in our readiness score and our activity calculation for the day to like be more active because it looks like you're well rested. Mm. So. Sounds good. Okay, so tell me what's next. Uh, what's next? You told me already of some of the improvements that are happening, but what else are you thinking about where Oring should go next? And uh, I mean, I, yeah. I'm interested in the medical aspects. Where do you see that potentially, as well? But sure. Yeah, I mean, look, I think for us, short term uh, meditation mode is something that we're going to launch. Right. So being able being able to give access to people to heart rate data during the day and heart rate variability data, uh, you know, meditation. Um, like there's been some research out there showing that like, hey, when experienced meditators um, will see a more significant increase in heart rate variability, right, um, as, med- as, the med- as they get better at meditating. Right. So I think um, that's pretty interesting for mm-hmm. people to know sort of how am I doing during meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that, that you'll see soon. Um, I do think another thing we want to do is make it easier for people to recognize um, their behaviors that are causing good and bad sleep. So try to think about it in terms of like correlations and tags. So like, mm. hey, I had a glass of alcohol last night. Let me tag that. Yeah, it's um, kind of hard then, right now. Right now you have to put in the notes and you might not put it in the same way. And how do you track it with time of day right now? Yeah, right? it doesn't exactly. it doesn't allow so you to do that. I think that that would be a huge, huge win if you do. Something, yeah, so something I think way. we're going to you'll see some improvements coming there, yeah. um, you know, and as well later in the year. Um, and then I, I do think um, you know, we'll find other use cases for heart rate during the day as well. <laughs> Activity obviously is an interesting one. So mm-hmm. those are all things on sort of the near term roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do think um, longer term, this whole space is evolving more towards, you know, the medical side. Um, and does that mean, you know, hey, can we use these things to detect early onset of diabetes, right? Or hypertension? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely think that's in that's what will happen to the space over time as we collect more and more data and our devices keep getting more and more and more accurate. Um, I think before that, you'll probably even start to see like insurers as they already are starting to mm-hmm. subsidize the device or use the data from the device to encourage healthy patient behavior or healthy client behavior, right? So um, do you think they hey, could, it could go the other way? Like they have too much data on us? Like, I mean, if our insurance provider knew that, hey, that, you know, what my heart rate I, I, variability could be could that influence premiums or the premiums um, <laughs> I, I think that's the risk it's coming I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right that's the risk mm-hmm. um, I mean I think you know that's that probably insurers can use the data for good and for bad um, you know and I, I think either way even if it's bad data let's say you are you have low heart rate variability or you have a higher you know a higher risk of uh, diabetes mm-hmm. um, Ultimately, knowing that is, it's probably still in the insurer's interest in the long run to reduce your cost of healthcare. So, what things right. can we do, even if you are in the state, to make you healthier? Mm-hmm. Um, right? Like, you know, let's let's have you adjust your lifestyle, right, to help improving, you know, some of the things that we know can help prevent diabetes. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I I think you know the fear is always like, oh, pricing will go up for certain individuals. I'd also say the other side, pricing can go down for other individuals, sure. right? But even for those who are in a higher risk category, hey, what are things we can do to change in your lifestyle, you know, diet, nutrition, sleep, exercise, right? And 
uh, if we start to see those improvements, right, then also reduce your premium. So um, I think people, you know, people, unfortunately, the mind tends to gravitate towards fear. But even if you are one of those higher risk, you know, in that higher risk category, wouldn't you want to know? Mm-hmm. And if you if you do know, you know, it, wouldn't you want to do something about it? Right. So I think um, I do think it's it's a challenge for the industry. I think that's why you probably haven't seen a lot of widespread adoption yet. One of the reasons. But I think also we will it'll it will evolve and get smarter. And I think the insurers hopefully will get smarter as well. Where do you, and one of the things we talked about last time we met is about sleep apnea and and do you think that there'll be a potential to even potentially diagnose sleep apnea and other medical conditions like maybe fibromyalgia has a has a sleep component I know that on EEG EEGs that the, they yeah. say there's a different waveform and stuff like that it's a potential I, I definitely think so I think um, if you go look at you know clinicaltrials.gov you know um, there are some interesting wearables there pursuing you know sleep apnea. Um, I, I, I definitely think that given the increase of, that, of apnea mm-hmm. and, you know, as it's, you know, pretty correlated also to with obesity, yeah. um, like you've seen that just increase over the years. So I, I do think wearables, you know, you need to collect a lot of data mm-hmm. and then train an algorithm against it. So, um, and you need to have a really good data source to begin with. So you need good signals, lots of good data, and then you need to, you know, create an algorithm. Um, I think the same can be true of different types of diseases, right? We just, it, it is a data collection problem. Um, and the other thing is that you need it over long periods of time, right? Um, you know, for AFib, for example, if you wear a device for one night or just test one day for mm-hmm. AFib, you might not have it, right? You might not see any signs of it. So you need longer periods of time. But I, I do think that's where the space is going. Um, and it, it is, it takes time to collect good data and then also, you know, train good algorithms and then, you know, do a little, little bit of pilot runs and show the prediction. So um, I do think that's where the space goes over time. Yeah, this is a very exciting time. I'm uh, so part, uh, so glad to be, have a chance to, to met you, and and I'm using it now, and a whole bunch of people want to use it. So um, I think we'll come up with, with a way that I can get it out to my patients and and my friends yeah. and family and all that. Um, yeah, we we have a um, you know I guess on the functional medicine side we do have a uh, portal mm-hmm. that you're you can actually uh, log in and see your patient's data if they allow you to access it. Yeah, and then. Um, uh, one thing we also I forgot to say, yeah, we'll we'll create a uh, a link, a, a discount link for your followers and your audience, so that okay. they can save fifty dollars as well. Yeah. So we can sh- we can create that and share that after the show. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, that you know, go to orring.com or go to your you know the link that you'll provide. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, you know, your audience should be able to get a discount. Thank you so much, Herpreet, for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I'll probably have Likewise. more questions later on in another show, but uh, this is great. Cool. Okay. Awesome. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm I'm glad to be on PQ. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Um, we'll uh, we're gonna end for now, but I'll put the stuff in the show notes, and we'll get that uh, that link for you to get your aura ring. Mm-hmm.